have each one here. So very thankful that you've chosen in the Lord's house this morning. And uh, boy, just um, always enjoy um, being around God's people. Amen. Even you. You know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, But uh, it, it is indeed a, a tremendous joy. And um, <clears throat> You know, a lot of people uh, come to church as kind of an, a new culture and a new thing for them, and, and they see all these people that are um, young, it's the people that are not young any longer, and some people of different ethnicities and different socioeconomical backgrounds, and they're like, how do all these people just like love each other and act like a family? And uh, that's just the beauty of uh, a New Testament church, and uh, I wish I could say we were smart enough to come up with it, uh, but Christ loved the church, and He died for the church. It, it's His church, and uh, boy, I just so much so uh, enjoy just being around God's people, and uh, it's just always a joy. And so let's take our Bibles here this morning, Second Chronicles chapter number 28, Second Chronicles and chapter number uh, 28. <clears throat> And we're going to pick up our reading in verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter. I'll also take your finger, if you will, or the little band or a piece of paper or something in your Bible and hold Isaiah 7. Isaiah in chapter number 7. Uh, we'll need that a little bit later in the sermon. And so you'll want to pin that somehow and have it accessible so that when we're ready, we can all go there together and, and wind up where we need to. So 2 Chronicles 28, verse 22 and then Isaiah and chapter number 7. Now, if you found your place there, let's all stand together, if you're able to, to honor the reading of God's Word and show respect uh, to His Word. Second Chronicles chapter number 28 and verse number 22, so we're going to pick up our reading uh, here this morning. It reads this way, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessel of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incenses unto other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts, Ahaz that is, and of all his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. I'd like to preach to you this morning on, on this topic, faith over fear. Now, this became very popular saying... Uh, a few years ago when there was a certain sickness that was going around, we won't mention that, but uh, anyways, that was a, it became a popular statement, uh, but there's a lot of truth to that statement. That fear sometimes can rule and reign our life, but it's not supposed to. Faith is supposed to. 
So we're talking about that here this morning. May God bless you, Lord. You can be seated, and thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here this morning. Fear is a really bad motivator. Fear will cause you and lead you to do things that you should not do, right? Uh, fear is something that will just drive you in a direction that you probably shouldn't be heading off to. It, it's, fear makes us do irrational and even dangerous things. Uh, probably the thing that sticks out the most in my mind, I've shared this here before, but it's just so very, I'm still scarred from my childhood from this, is the monster under the bed. You had one under yours too, you know. Anyways, but the monster under the bed, you know, you'd, at the middle of the night and everything's dark and you had to get up and go to the bathroom and you laid there for 15 minutes thinking whether you really wanted to or not. Is it really worth it? It's so dark and it's spooky and it's scary and finally you, like, I really got to go. So you go to the bathroom and then you're heading back to your bed and, and you, you didn't just go back to your bed and then climb into bed. No, 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 no. That wasn't safe because it was within grabbing distance. So you had to get a running head start, and you would leap into the bed, right? you just poof, fly right into the bed, and then you were safe. Safe! Some of you are like, when you were a kid, I still do that today as an adult. Yeah, fear leads you to do some. Yeah, good job, Miss Brenda. Gary does that. That's why she's laughing. So. But fear causes us to do irrational things sometimes. It, just, it plays with our mind, doesn't it? It just messes with you. Uh, boy, I, I think about uh, Brooklyn yesterday. We were at Nate's football game. He had his first football game, and it was like 110 when it started, and it was hot. And we get through the first quarter, and it's cooling off because there's cloud coverage, and we're all thinking the Lord. And then almost about halftime, it just a deluge of rain comes through. It was awesome. I'm out there just soaked from head to toe going, praise the Lord, we're getting some rain, you know. But Brooklyn didn't share in my enthusiasm. She's over there, and she's just freaking out and just fearful. So I'm like, do you want to go under the bleachers? She's like, yes. Okay, so we go under the bleachers, and as soon as we get under the bleachers, it wasn't just a few minutes, and somebody's canopy from above, the wind caught it, and it's dragging across the bleachers, and people are going, ah, and screaming as this canopy's flying across, and it's clacking, and she's down there, and she thinks a bomb has gone off, and the world is ending, and she's just fearful and shaking and freaking out, and she's wanting to run, right? And I'm like, hey, I'm here. We're good. Eat your snow cone and be happy. She's like shivering. That's a weird thing to happen, eating a snow cone in August and shivering, but she was all soaked and cold. But anyways, fear causes us to think and want to do irrational things and just fly. When I was on staff up at Southwest, it was our duty to lock up the buildings every night if you've never been there. The church runs about 2,000 people. And so as an intern, locking up the building, it was like an hour-long process because every single door in the building had a lock. You had to lock every one of them and check them all. And that was great on floors one through three. But the basement, I, there should never be a basement in a church. We're talking about Sunday school. Churches are already creepy enough. Church basements have got to be the creepiest places on the face of the earth. Don't go to a haunted house. Go to a church basement. They're scary. And the lights down there, they didn't have switches because the kids were down there flipping the switches. So they put a light switch where it had this little squiggly key that you had to stick in a hole and that would turn on and off the lights. And so you couldn't just go down there and like 
that lights off, that lights off, that lights off, and run through. You had to like stop and get the little key and, and do it and check on all these doors. It was absolutely terrifying. So usually that's how it went is I'm down there like going as fast as possible. That door's good, that door's good. They're like, get, get, get the light, get the light, get the light. Because fear makes you do irrational things. Especially when you're interning with other guys who know you have irrational fears. <laughs> and so hide out and play on those fears. <laughs> Scare you half to death. But fear makes you do really, really weird. So I wrote down a list of several fears that people can have. These are the 10 most common fears. Social phobias were one of the high ones. Fear of being or doing things in front of people. Probably there's a group of people here this morning who would absolutely lose it if I asked them to come up here to the pulpit and say a few words. Right? They just, nope, I'm not getting up in front of others. It's just not going to happen. I have a phobia of that. Agoraphobia, fear of open spaces. Never, I, I didn't know that would make it into the top 10, but it is a fear of just big, open, like space or the ocean. Being out in a big, open space and you feel like you're just out there. It's a fear of that. Acrophobia. I have this one a little bit. Fear of heights. Yeah. Just something about going way, way, way up high, like on one of those little towers. They show guys that go up and change the light bulbs, and they get paid lots of money. The reason they get paid lots of money to climb up there and change the light bulbs is because this guy and half of you people won't do it. It takes a special person to go up that high. Why? There's a fear of heights. I'm not even going to... Okay, we'll try to do this. You all ready? This one's got about 30 letters in it. Terromarhanophobia. Yeah, it's the fear of flying. The fear of flying. So that's a super long. This one probably people know what it is. I don't even have to explain it. Claustrophobia. A fear of enclosed or confined spaces. Somebody takes you, you know, like when you were a kid and your brother would take you and like smother you, or like cover you with a blanket and you would just, ah! you just lose your mind, you know, because you thought you were never going to get free. Uh, entomiophobia. Fear of insects. Our kids do not have that. Yeah. <laughs> Ophidiophobia, fear of snakes. A lot of people have that. Sinophobia, fear of dogs. Astrophobia, fear of storms. And then the last one here, tryptophobia, fear of needles. <laughs> that would be me. Yep. Absolutely. Now, listen, we can go down and talk about all the different fears. And whether rational or irrational, fear is a part of our human emotion, is it not? Right? We, we experience fear... If you've never experienced fear before, uh, God bless you, amen? But for the rest of us that are normal, you've experienced some level of fear before and have had that fight or flight, and, and boy, the adrenaline kicks in and everything starts going on hyperdrive, and your heart's racing and your breath picks up, right? You're just pumping air into your lungs, and you're just, whoo, that fear that sets in there. I remember here some months ago, uh, back at the first of the year, when everything was happening with Athena Strand, and, and boy, what a tragic uh, thing with all that. My dad's church is very involved with it all, and, and I, I remember thinking through that, there, there was a heightened fear about our children. At, at that time, I, I mean, I, I know obviously over time, maybe some of that hasn't abated, but some of it has, but at that moment at least... I don't know about you, but it's like you just want to take your kids and hug them a little tighter at that moment. 
and just thank the Lord, hey, I, I, I'm thankful for my kids, I'm thankful I have them, and, and to be more vigilant about paying attention to them and what's going on around you. Listen, th- th- we live in an evil world, and, and there, there are things out there that are worth being fearful of, but can I submit to you here this morning as a child of God, your life and the decisions of your life are not to be directed and dictated by fear, because fear is a bad motivator. When you're scared, you make irrational and quick and snappy decisions. We're going to look here this morning at a character named King Ahaz. And King Ahaz allowed his life to be completely and totally directed by fear instead of by faith. And it was absolutely tragic. So before we even get into the story here of our text in 2 Chronicles uh, uh, 28 there... And we talk about the, the final phase of what all happens with King Ahaz. I want to give a little bit of layout. For 137 years, the, the nation of Judah, the southern two tribes of Israel, has experienced a period of, of good and awesome and godly kings. Now, did they do everything right? No. Uh, but if you were to total up the sum of their life, God identified, and this king did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. So the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, uh, through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, they're, they're identified as this king did that which was right, or this king did that which was wrong or evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, those are the two categories. It doesn't mean everybody who says they did that which was right mean that they did everything right in their life. Hezekiah was a good king, and yet he did some dumb things towards the end of his life, right? So there's a lot of good kings. So here's the four kings, Joas, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham. Four in a row, 137 years of good kings. That is awesome. This is a prosperous and a good time for the nation of Judah. Now, at the age of 20, Jotham, uh, Jotham's, uh, excuse me, Ahaz's father, Jotham, dies So Ahaz, at the age of 20, becomes the new king of Judah. So he is entering into a a period of time where he has had 137 years. His father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and his great-great-grandfather all were men that loved the Lord and did that which was right. But Ahaz decides he wants to go in a little bit of a different direction. He's going to reign for 16 years. And he is, by most accounts, one of the worst kings Judah ever had. He is by far the worst idolater that Judah ever had. Absolutely awful. Actually, by the end of his life, I don't know if you caught it there at the end of our scripture in verse number 27. It actually says at the end of his life, they didn't bury him where the kings get buried. They, They buried him there in Jerusalem, but he was so wicked... He was so anti what God wanted him to be that they didn't even bury him where the kings were buried. He was that big of a despot. His life is identified by wickedness and foolishness and idolatry. So it begs the question, how did a king with 137 years, four generations before him, of good, godly kings that loved the Lord and followed the Lord and served the Lord, how did a man with such pedigree such a reputation, such an upbringing, decide that he was going to live a life of wickedness and foolishness and idolatry. It all can be summed up in one word, fear. 
The reason he did not do what God called him to do and the reason he moved in the wrong direction ultimately boils down to this thing of fear. So let me give you a little bit of a dire situation of what's going on here. If we were to back up at the first part of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 28, we would understand that the early stages of Ahaz's life is not really all that godly. Actually, quite the opposite. When he becomes king, it actually says that he made molten images of Balaam. He made false deities, false gods that he worshipped and bowed before. The Bible says that he burned incense in the valleys of the son of Hinnom. This is one of the forms of worship of Molech, and so he's worshiping false gods. He sacrificed and offered incenses in high places instead of in the, in the temple and worshiping the Lord. High places were like little gardens they'd make on these hills, and they would go worship idols and false gods on them, and he did that. Probably the worst thing that he did was he burned his children in the fire of Molech. Uh, the fires of Molech was like this... Um, cow that they called, it was one of the depictions of Molech that was hollowed out and had like a hinged door and they would heat that thing up and then they would put newborn babies inside of it and torch them in order to appease this god Molech. An awful thing. So here we have this king, even before this trying and difficult point of Ahaz's life, he already was making bad and sinful and evil decisions. Now, just go ahead and say this. You don't know what's going to happen later today or next week or a month from now or a year from now. I hope it's all roses and sunshine and wonderful. But let's be honest of the human life in, in a crowd this size, there are probably those within the next few weeks that are going to have something happen in their life that's not very pleasant. I mean, let's just be candid and honest. And to think that, oh yeah, well, yeah, in the crowd this size, someone's going to have that happen, but it's not me. We, we sure can deceive ourselves sometimes that way. But here's the thing. Sometimes in our foolishness, we think there'll never be a dark day. There'll never be a difficulty. I'll never go through a trial or a difficulty. And so because of that, we don't prepare today for the trials of tomorrow. Listen, Ahaz didn't know what was coming down the pike, but he made bad decisions early on in his life. And so it only set him up to make the biggest blunder by fear later on in his life. Can I encourage you right now? You don't know what's going to happen in the future. So live for God today so that you might be prepared for that day and that time. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now and you're like, I'm going through a trial and difficulty and I was not ready for it because I wasn't where God wanted me to be. Well, you can choose to be where God wants you to be today. Amen. Start making right choices and right decisions, moving forward and doing what God's called you to do. Ahaz made poor decisions but now he's about to have one of the major events of his life take place. So there, there's, just real quickly here, i kind of lay this out. So you remember uh, a guy named Jonah? God said, you go to Tarsus and you preach. And he said, okay. And he ran the opposite direction and wound up getting swallowed by a whale and vomited up three days later. Okay, wonderful Bible story, right? You remember he was going up there to Nineveh to preach to that city Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And so he was going up there to preach that. And remember the results. No, no, I keep saying no. Jonah. He did not like the, the result of that. But the whole city repented, didn't they? Amen. They got right with God and they, they, they repented with sackcloth and ashes and God spared the city. Well, this is about 50 years after that preaching of Jonah. 
And the city now has a new leader called Tiglath-Pileser III. Just bless your soul. Tiglath-Pileser. Now, Tiglath-Pileser didn't have anything to do with the events of what happened 50 years earlier, and now he's leading their nation in a totally different direction. A direction of wickedness and evil against God and God's people. They are becoming a superpower in the region for their time. Assyria is just becoming massive. If you'll remember at this time, Israel and Judah, they've kind of divided in the two groups. So Judah, where King Ahaz is, is in the south, and then Israel just to the north. So those ten. They have a very bad king whose name is Pekah up there right now. Okay, so you have King Pekah in the north, and he is an absolute despot of a king as well. Then you have just off to the um, northeast uh, uh, over there, Damascus is what it's called in our text here. We would know it today as Syria. That would be kind of the area there. And these are in that area of the north. They're led by a king named Rezin. Rezin. And Rezin is another terrible king that is just bent on awfulness and doing that which is evil. You have Moab to the east, Philistia, where the Philistines are just off to the southwest. So if we say it this way, Judah is kind of surrounded by people that don't really like them at the moment. And they all have these evil kings that have no interest in doing what God has called them to do. Now, because of Ahaz, his early wickedness in his life, because he made those poor choices early on in life, God allowed judgment to come to Judah. So there are these nations that are around them, Israel to the north and Syria to the north, that attack and they absolutely decimate Judah. In one day, 150,000 men die in Judah. 200,000 women are taken captive and their spoils are taken. It's an absolute, total annihilation almost. So it's just an absolute awful thing that happens. Now, the Edomites and the Philistines, they're kind of opportunistic people. So they say, hey, Syria is attacked, Israel's attacked, and they're struggling, so we're going to attack too. And we're going to kind of guerrilla warfare this thing. So they're getting attacked from every which direction. In these attacks, we know this, Ahaz's son is killed, the governor of Ahaz's house is killed, and a trusted advisor, like the, the vice king, if you want to call him that, Elkanah, he is also killed. This is a tragic time in Judah. Now, don't miss this, okay? You already have a king who's making poor choices. This really tragic event happens, which he was not prepared for because he made such bad choices. Now he has all these people that are dying, these people that are attacking, and he has one of two options that are laid before him. He can either trust God or he can double down and he can move in the direction of sinfulness and evil. So thankfully... God being the merciful God that he is, gives Ahaz this second chance. He sends a prophet by the name of Isaiah. We'd probably be familiar with prophet Isaiah. Isaiah shows up to King Ahaz and he says, you got one of two options here, bub. Which are you going to choose? So let's read about it there. Oh, I hope you got your, your Bible marked uh, there. In Isaiah in chapter number 7. Here I've told you all to mark your Bible. I didn't mark mine. Rookie preacher mistake right there. Isaiah chapter number 7. 
Let's read those first nine verses there. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Now we know this. 150,000 people died, 200,000 women were taken, it was an absolute slaughter, and yet they didn't absolutely take the city. Okay, So, verse number 2 says this, And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou... And Sherejazim, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syrah and of the sons of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the sons of Remaliah uh, have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against uh, Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Now, here, here's the prophet Isaiah shows up, and he goes this. He shows up and he says, King Ahaz, I've got, a, I've got a prophecy from God. I've got something that God needs to tell you. And here's what it is, Ahaz. You've been attacked by these two kings, the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And it seems like you're in this dire situation and there's no hope out and you're scared. You say, well, how do you know he's scared? Because he says, fear not. You don't tell someone, fear not, unless they're feared. It's just part of how it works, right? So he's up there, and obviously there's this fear that is inside of Ahaz's heart. He says this, listen, I'm this young king. I don't know how to handle this situation. And I already got beat up on. We're barely surviving. How are we going to handle this? And here's what God gives the message to Isaiah. He says this, Ahaz, trust me. Don't be afraid. Those two kings, they're smoking firebrands. You say, what does that mean? We ever lit a match before? And it just lights on fire, brilliant and bright real fast. And it lasts for a few seconds, if you're good, and try to burn your fingers maybe a little bit longer. And then eventually it goes out and it's just kind of this black little stick that's smoking a little bit. Here's what uh, through God, through Isaiah, tells uh, Ahaz. Those kings, they might have come out with a blaze of glory and they might look like this brilliant fire like they could never be defeated. But they're going to burn out pretty fast. And they're just going to be smoking sticks that are going to be forgotten on the heaps of history. He says, here's the thing you need to do. Put your faith and trust in me because I will not let that stand. So you know Ahaz. Good old Ahaz. He just says, Lord, I believe everything you've told me I've done wrong in the past, but I'm going to do right now and I'm going to trust you. I wish that was the case. But we read over in 2 Chronicles 28 what he actually did. You see, what Ahaz actually did was he said, you know, the kings of Syria seem to be working out pretty good for them. So I'm going to go look at their temple, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to recreate it here. 
He comes in and he starts to break in pieces all the altars of God and the, moves the furniture around and starts to do false god worship and altars of to, uh, idols and stuff inside there. He plants groves and starts to worship all those things and he doubles down and he starts to say this, listen, Syria is beaten up on us and, 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 and Israel's being mean to us. So I'm going to write to the king of Assyria, this up-and-coming power, and I'm going to trust in Tiglath-Pileser, because he's got a cool name, right? I'm going to trust in Tiglath-Pileser because they're starting to get military. And I can see, I, I can see they've got a big military, and, and I can see, I think they can handle Syria and Israel, and they'll be a good ally in this fight. I can trust them because I can see them. So he doubles down with these decisions based out of this fear. Ahaz is scared of what's going to happen, so he goes with the known instead of going with faith. Remember this, faith is things that we can't always see. It's just taking God at His word. Well, did God tell Ahaz he was going to take care of those guys? Oh, yeah, he said, they're smoking firebrands. I won't let this stand. Trust me, and I will take care of this. That was God's words. It wasn't like Ahaz just pulled it out of the air. God told him that he was going to do this. And Ahaz says, I reject the words of the Lord, and I trust in my human logic instead. Now, here this morning, I want to help you not make the same blunder. Instead of trusting in your own human logic and your own human intuition, let us instead believe by faith what God has called us to do. Faith ought to trump fear every single time. There are too many children of God, I believe, that are just absolutely driven by fear, even here this morning at Bible Baptist Church. Someone here this morning is probably worried about their finances. Financial fear has absolutely gripped you. The economy, right? It's heading in the wrong direction. Maybe your income's down or you lost your job or things are changing. And, and I'm telling you, you're just gripped by fear. How am I going to pay for this? What if I don't have enough money? What about my, my needs? Will I earn enough? And fear, anxiety just seems like it's gripping you. Maybe it's a relationship fear. You're fearful about some type of relationship. Will they love me? Will my spouse always be here for me? Will my children stay close? Uh, what if I let them down? And what if I fail them, right? Those fears can be there. Physical fear, sickness. A lot of people had this type of fear when COVID was going around. They're just scared to death of anything. They just shut their whole life down, fearful of ever doing anything and moving in any direction. What if I get hurt? What if I get sick? What if something bad happens? What about this one? The fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? What about next week? A year from now? Five years from now? What's going to happen? I don't know. I'm so scared. There could be fear of the unknown and things that are going to happen. What about this? I don't want to miss the will of God for my life. What if I miss it? I don't want to miss it. And fear of missing out. Fear of the past. I made choices in the past. Are they going to come back and haunt me? Is that going to come back and get me? Is somebody going to figure out when am I going to reap what I've sown? Somebody wisely said that fear can be defined this way. You can kind of do an acrostic, F-E-A-R, and it spells out this, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Isn't that a good definition of what fear oftentimes is? 
often our fears of what we think is going to happen are never realized in reality. We paint a pretty big picture in our mind that oftentimes never comes true. We allow our mind to run rampant. Listen, the same fear that gripped us when we were a child that made us run and jump into our bed so the monster didn't get us is the same fear that drives us to sleepless nights when we can't stop thinking about that financial problem or that child that's going wayward or that issue with that person at church earlier today. Those same fears can drive us to do odd and bad things. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way, Fear defeats more people than any other one thing in this world. Fear will keep you from doing what God wants you to do. That's one of the reasons why one of the most oft-repeated commands in all the Word of God is what? Fear not. God tells you not to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Which means this, if you're fearful, it didn't come from God. Because God doesn't give you the spirit of fear. Instead, He gives you of power and of love and of sound mind. Listen, this morning, fear can drive you to do irrational and, and unbelievable things. And maybe it is here this morning, you're faced with this decision just like Ahaz was. A am I going to choose to trust my eyes and go with Tiglath-Pileser and his army? Because I'm faced with this difficult situation. Or am I going to believe what God has said through his prophet Isaiah and believe that God will take care of the problem. Listen, here this morning, maybe it is that you just need to start living by faith. Saying this, listen, I don't have all the answers, but if God has said it in His Word, and God has spoken to me and hit my heart through the Holy Spirit, I know this, I'm going to have faith in what God has said instead of trying to solve this problem on my own. Because let's be honest, when we try to go solve the problem by getting Tiglath-Pileser, we usually make a big mess, don't we? We go out and we try to manipulate and solve. And here's what God's stepping back and He's saying this. Have faith. Rest. Let me end with this and then we'll, we'll shut her down here and have an invitation. An author once said this. Fear, anxiety, stress, those things that are byproducts of fear, they ought to be like alarm bells going off that signal us to pray. They ought to be like alarms going off. If you're ever laying there in bed and you can't sleep and you just feel, come on, you don't talk about that anxiety, pressure, fear has gripped you. Well, what's the response? Well, I just tell you what I've experienced from the scriptures and what I've put into practice in my own life. I usually get up because I'm not going to sleep anyways. And I go before the Lord and I pray and I just kind of lay it out there before Him. God, I'm struggling with this and I know I shouldn't be. I know you've got this. I know you love me. You're not out of control. You're in control. I just pray, talk to the Lord for a while about the situation, and then I go and I take my Bible, and I usually open up the Psalms or Proverbs, and I start reading until God starts to give perfect peace like He always does through His Word and through the comfort of His Holy Spirit. And then I go, and I go right back to sleep. Counting sheep is not as good as they say it is. <laughs> But praying and reading God's Word works every single time. My peace I leave with you. Perfect peace, God says. Listen, God didn't give you that spirit of fear. He wants you to have power, love, sound mind. Sound mind. The opposite of fear, isn't it? Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from faith. Believe God. Trust in Him. Don't allow your life to be driven by fear. Allow it to be driven by 
faith. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation.